Amen. Well, it is good to be here with you this morning. And I'll tell you what, I am thankful to be here with you all the time now. That's pretty exciting for me and my family. Thanks. Not my point, but thanks. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> you know, we just moved to the greater Cincinnati area from the greater Chicago area. And I don't know about you, but I've never done, like, the big move before. Like, I went to college and back, right? You load up about one car's worth of stuff. But if you've ever done the big move, like your whole house, at least a couple of states away, you know you are packing a lot of bags and a lot of boxes. And I'll be honest with you. I grossly overestimated how much stuff would fit in a U-Haul truck. <laughs> so, so as we're packing up our house, it's not just my stuff, right? It's my wife's stuff and my kids' stuff. And like, how many toys do four kids need? And so we have kind of this weird moment, kind of a good moment, but we get to look at all of our stuff and decide, what do we really need to bring with us? Because it's all laid out on the lawn in front of the house, and I'm looking at the lawn, and I'm looking in the truck, and I'm looking at the lawn, and I'm looking in the truck. It's like, this is not happening. So, changing table. Hmm. We've only got one kid left in diapers, and he'll probably be out soon. You know what? Leave it there. Foosball table in the truck. Right? you got to get the important things, right? You know, it, it had me thinking, though, as I approached Ezekiel chapter 12 that we're going to look at today, that there's a little bit of that going on for the Israelites as well. Because they are either in captivity, or more of them are going into captivity. And when you go into captivity, you don't get to bring a whole bunch of your favorite stuff with you. You get to bring, like, maybe one bag that you can carry on your back with just the most important things. You know, a little bit of water, a little bit of food for the trip. But, you know, before we jump into that, i got to tell you another piece of this moving story for us. Because if you've ever had little kids, like if you're a parent, or I think this goes for grandparents too... Or if you've ever just worked with little kids and, and you're trying to get them to obey, we have discovered that our kids always, hear me, always fight about what car seat they're going to sit in. Has this happened to you? Like every single time we get in the car, four little kids are fighting over, I'm sitting here, no, I'm sitting here, no, I was there first, no, you sat there last time. And so when we're moving, the last leg of our trip was actually from vacation in Minnesota all the way down to here. So we had about a 13-hour drive that day. And I'm thinking, like, it's five in the morning when we're leaving and they're already fighting? Like, if this is going on all day, we're toast. So you have this moment as a parent, right? I have this moment as a dad where you lean into the car and you use your stern voice. You say, listen, if you guys are going to fight about who sits where, then I'm going to pick seats and you're not going to like it. But think for a minute, why do I do that? Because they're not getting it, right? What I'm, what I'm really trying to do is just have us all sit down, because then we'll have a nice drive, and we'll have a good day, and everyone will be happy. But if they can't get that, I still need to make sure that we have a nice drive, and we have a good day, and so I'm going to take action. But ideally, they would just sit down, and, and I wouldn't have to do that, right? And you know, I think that's a little bit of what God is doing with the Israelites. And I think ever since having kids, there's, there's moments I get like that where I just feel like I understand the heart of our father a little bit more because he's tried to tell you tell them hey this is how life goes and if you do it this way you'll be blessed you'll enjoy it we'll have a good time together but they're kind of like kids fighting in the car right it's like they hear you but they don't think you really mean it and besides i really want this seat until god finally says okay then i have to take action to make sure that we put things right 
so that things can go well. See, that's why God is using visual aids throughout the book of Ezekiel. And as we've seen them through the first 11 chapters, they continue here in chapter 12 because Israel is facing judgment. And yet in the midst of the judgment that is coming, we keep seeing these just these little moments, these little pockets, these little opportunities for grace if they would just listen to his voice and make the change. Because God's visual aids give us foresight so we can gain insight to avoid having no sight. Let me say that again. God's visual aids give us foresight. Right? They let us see ahead to what is coming so we can gain insight, right? something that can affect the way we live now, to avoid having no sight. Now, I know that can sound like a little bit of a tongue twister, but we're going to unpack that this morning. Because Israel was living as a people with no sight. And if you look at chapter 12, verse 1, we see it described them there this way. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, so this is God speaking to Ezekiel, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. The Bible uses this language frequently to describe disobedience. Basically, a people that are ignoring God. Though they have eyes to see where he is at work, though they have ears to hear his voice and what he's calling them to do, it's like they're covering their ears and they're clenching their eyes shut. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. And for all the warnings that Ezekiel has been giving them, it's like they're squeezing their eyes tighter because they just don't want to believe that what God is saying is true. And so spiritually speaking... They have no sight. And so this chapter is going to be important this morning because it was important for them, but not just for them. I believe that it's important for us as well, both because it's good for us to understand the history, to understand how God has worked, to understand God's heart in all of this, but also because it's very easy for us to live with no sight. Now, if you're like me, a lot of times I read these kinds of passages. I read some of this stuff in the Old Testament. I'm thinking like Israel what are you doing? you got a prophet standing right in front of you. Like, you've got to be a, a little bit off to just completely ignore this every time. I would never do that. I mean, I would, I would listen, right, if a prophet was speaking to me. And there's probably a little bit of pride packed in there. And so I'd like us to approach this with a little bit of humility. Because what happens when we live with no sight is that we forget who God is. Either intentionally or unintentionally, we go about our lives forgetting the fact that He is Lord that everything belongs to him, that he's in control of everything, that we owe everything to him. Because of that, we become more self-serving. We become more and more self-centered. And certainly we say that there are people that we love and we live our lives for them, but the reality is we're spending most of our energy on, on our own delights, our own passions, keeping ourselves happy. On top of that, we begin to normalize unbelief, immorality, and idolatry. Things that if we stop and think about it, we know, hey, these aren't things that God wants to be involved in. These aren't really things that I want to be involved in. You know, sometimes it's elevating something that's really negative in our life and putting it in the place of God. Sometimes it's elevating something that might be good in our life, but we turn that good thing into an ultimate thing and it takes the place of God. And either of these become idols in our lives. You know, and honestly... You really only have to look at like the, the top picks on Netflix to know how much our culture has normalized immorality, often in ways that we don't even recognize it because we just get used to it. 
And so God is looking at this and saying, you're living with no sight. You're living with your eyes shut. And what happens is that our families begin to bend. Ultimately, our families break. We miss out on the mercy that God has for us. We miss out on the joy of his glory. Now think about that father leaning into the back seat of the car, trying to help his kids out, right? When God sees our lives breaking apart that way, when he sees our families hurting that way, that's not what he wants for us, right? God wants something better for us. God wants joy. God wants mercy. God wants peace. God wants grace. And so this is a moment where God is going to say, because of that, I'm going to take action to get us back on track, to get you where you need to be, to show you who I am so you can live the kind of life that I have planned for you. And so he's going to use a visual aid today of a knapsack and a wall. As you can look in verse 3, this is where Ezekiel begins to act this out. God says to him, Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity in another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity. And at evening you shall go in their sight like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight... You shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. Now, there's something I didn't notice there until I'd actually read these verses out loud. And that's a great tip. If you're ever studying scripture and you're having a little bit of a hard time understanding it, one thing that can be really helpful is just to take that same passage and read it out loud and just listen to what it sounds like. Um, you can do this in a public place and look a little goofy, or you can find a room by yourself and pray and read a little bit. But one of the things that I noticed when I read that out loud, did you hear how many times he said, in their sight? In their sight. See, God sees a people who have no sight, and so he says, Ezekiel, you're not just acting out this visual aid. You are this visual aid. Make sure they see this. And honestly, what he's doing is a little bit weird. Like if, if, if you see your neighbor, maybe, load up a bag, put it on his back, carry it out the front door. Okay. You know, maybe he's going to the park, maybe he's having a picnic, I don't know, but it's, it's not that weird, right? But let's say you're driving home from work, and then you hear an explosion, and you look at your neighbor's house, and like pieces of rubble shoot out from the side of his house, and there's a giant hole in the side of his house, and then nonchalantly, you see your neighbor just kind of climb out with a bag on his back and start walking down the road. That's weird, right? This would be unusual. This would catch your attention. But that's exactly what Ezekiel is doing, right? Because the idea here is that God doesn't want to just give them some information. God wants to grab their attention. God wants to get a reaction. God wants to engage with them. But that's what God wants to do with us, too. When we read a passage like this, I'll tell you what, carry it out and do it like this, captivity something, daytime, nighttime, what is he talking about? He wants us to ask questions. He wants us to have to dig deeper to say, God, what are you doing? What do you mean? What is going on here? In fact, if you look again at those same verses, a couple things I've highlighted for you here is that that's exactly what God is saying. 
He tells Ezekiel, I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. Ezekiel, you are going to be a visual aid that creates curiosity toward God. Not only that, but but look a little higher. Although this prophecy is related to captivity and judgment, look what God says. Give them this message. It may be that they will consider. Already God has told us they have eyes don't see, they have ears but don't hear. They are a rebellious house, but bring them this message anyway. Because there's still time to make a change. There's still an opportunity for them to respond to God. I think that's part of what is in this message for us today from Ezekiel chapter 12. Because God wants to engage us as well. He wants to get a reaction. In fact, that's, that's like one of our greatest dreams here at Horizon, is that you would be so inspired by a weekend here that you cannot possibly wait till next weekend here. But then in the meantime, you say, I've got to find out more about this. I've got to know what, what is God saying to me? What does God want from my life? And that you start digging into the word for yourself. Not only digging into the word, but talking to him yourself. That during the week you say, man, it was so awesome to be with all those people. Where can I be with more people? And you get into a group yourself. That's one of the things that I've been really excited about since actually like living here. I can be in a group now. <laughs> I can get to know some of you better. I can spend time with other people who are going to help me build up the way that God wants me to live, the way that Christ wants me to be. So what do you think? How will they respond? Well, like most things that God does, this works. He gets their attention. Look at verse 7. It says, So I did as I was commanded. Now let's just stop right there. That, that's a great lesson right there. God says, Ezekiel, do this. Ezekiel says, So I did. Easier said than done, right? But let's not miss that. He says, so I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And at evening, I dug through the hole in the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, has not the house of Israel, that rebellious house said to you, what are you doing? Say to them. Thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them say, I am a sign to you. I love this because Ezekiel acts out this visual aid and it creates curiosity. They ask him what I think is a very reasonable question. Hey man, it's the middle of the night and you just dug a hole in your house and started throwing your stuff out the side. What are you doing? But think for a minute. How would you respond? How do you respond when you hear the word of God in your life? Do your defenses go up? Or do your defenses go down? I imagine Ezekiel probably got a number of different responses, even if they were saying these same words. I imagine there were some people, because this group was already in captivity. Ezekiel was with them in captivity. They should know that some of what God's been saying he meant. And it may be that some of them see Ezekiel doing this visual aid, and they're thinking, oh my goodness, Ezekiel is at it again. I'm I'm sick of that guy. Every time he speaks, it's doom and gloom and judgment, and, and everything's negative. Ezekiel, what are you doing? I imagine there are probably others who speak with a little bit more curiosity, maybe even anxiety, because they've heard Ezekiel speak before too. 
And it, and it seems like he's been right about a few things. And whatever he's doing here, it's kind of weird. Ezekiel, what are you doing? I think there were also a few who had tender hearts toward what God was trying to say. Because they too had heard Ezekiel before and realized he's been right about a few things. He said this captivity was going to happen and, and here we are. A tender few who think, if this is really God speaking, then we don't want to miss it. If this is really God telling us something that could change our lives, if he's giving us foresight so that we can avoid some of what's happened already, then, well, Ezekiel, could you explain that to us? What, what are you doing? Think about how you might respond to that. Because now he's going to give them the meaning of this visual aid. He's told them that this has to do with the prince in Jerusalem. You notice that he calls him a prince and not a king. The man that he's talking about is Zedekiah. When Babylon came in and took over and took the first group of people into captivity, they put Zedekiah in charge of Jerusalem. Now, in telling us about Zedekiah's life, the Bible describes him as doing evil in the sight of the Lord, like many at that time had been doing. And so Jeremiah is telling them that, in fact, that's who this is talking about. And in the rest of verse 11, this is what he says, As I have done, so it shall be done to them, to Zedekiah and those in Jerusalem. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them. Now, what we just read for the people around Ezekiel was a prophecy about the future. Well, hey, we live in the future, and this can still be kind of confusing, and I'm thinking, you know, there's stuff in here like he's going to go to Babylon, spend enough time there the rest of his life that he actually dies there but, but never see it. You know, how does that work? Well, it helps me to, to kind of get a handle on this by looking at this map again. We saw a map similar to this uh, earlier in the series. And what you see in that kind of pink reddish arrow, that's where Ezekiel and some of these captives are. They're in Babylonia. They're in captivity. But the message that he's giving them is about Jerusalem, the yellow arrow, right? Because even here, God's people had said, well, sure, some of us went into captivity, but, well, certainly God would never touch Jerusalem. Certainly Jerusalem would never fall. In spite of all the evil that had been done there by the kings, all the evil that had gone on in the temple, still they said, I'm sure God won't do anything about it. But Ezekiel is giving this, them this visual aid to show them that God is about to do something about it. And, you know, we actually see the fulfillment of this in the book of 2 Kings, where it talks about the life of Zedekiah. There's even more detail in Jeremiah 37 to 39. But I found this so helpful as I was studying this week because, you know, one thing that can happen to us is we, we look at the order of the Bible books and we start to think that that's chronological, right? So, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, that's Nehemiah, Esther, Joseph, and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, okay. So these must be hundreds of years apart, right? No. 2 Kings 
and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are all happening at the same time. They're organized by type in the Bible more than they are by chronology. And so we've got to understand that what Ezekiel was saying was about to happen. And it happened in 2 Kings 25, where it says this. Then the city wall was broken through. There's your hole in the wall. And all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were encamped all around against the city. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about the little green army men where, where Ezekiel actually set this up as one of his visual aids, that they would be encamped around. So all of these war-fighting men had deserted, and basically this is them going out the front door. Right? Like if somebody's moving furniture out through the garage into a U-Haul truck, that, that's the front door. But look at the king. Right? The king is trying to go out the back way. It says, And the king went by way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. That's heavy. And it makes a little bit of sense of what Ezekiel just said was going to happen. How do you live and die in Babylon? without ever seeing it because they caught him in the plane and put his eyes out before he ever got there. You see, Zedekiah had no sight spiritually. And so ultimately he had no sight literally, physically. And one of the things that's so remarkable about his story, if you dig in maybe later this week into that part in Jeremiah, is that even Zedekiah had time to change. Even though it described him as a king who did evil in the sight of the Lord, there was a moment where he spoke to God's prophet. And Jeremiah told him, look, the people have been evil, and so God is using Babylon to teach them a lesson, to get them to stop fighting about car seats, to try to put this thing back together. So here's the deal, Zedekiah. Let God do what God is doing. Let him use Babylon the way he is planning to. If you accept them as part of God's correction, then Zedekiah, you will live. In fact, he was going to let Zedekiah stay in Jerusalem. But even after hearing this message, when Zedekiah had his opportunity, he ignored God. He tried to fight back against Babylon. And here we see the end result of that decision. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. There's a lot, of, a lot of prophetic detail, a lot of historical detail, and all of this is important for us to understand. But I don't want us to pass this moment without realizing not just what God was doing in that specific circumstance, but a little bit about the way our Father works. You see, they had been given foresight and insight. Both Zedekiah and the people had been given foresight that, that there is still time to make a change. Right? Many times God says, unless you repent. Right? This is coming, so you better repent. In fact, there's one place in Jeremiah that even describes how God says, if at any time there's a nation who has done evil against me and I have proclaimed destruction for them and then they repent, I will relent from the destruction that I had planned. God gives time to make a change. 
I think if we soak that in for ourselves, the reality is, you know, wherever you are sitting, living, thinking, feeling right here today, maybe that it's time to make a change. You know, sometimes we feel like there's changes that we know that God would want to make in our lives. We know that there are things that don't line up with how he's called us to be, who he's called us to be, how he's asked us to live. And we've tried to change, but we feel like it just hasn't worked. We want to change, but for some reason we keep falling back into the same old patterns and the sin issues that creep into our lives and keep us from enjoying the blessing that God has for us. Well, I believe that Ezekiel 12 is inviting us that there's still time to make a change, that we can take this foresight and see what God would do. And, you know, it may not just be sin issues, although I think that's specifically what Ezekiel is talking about. It may also be growth steps, you know, things where we've said, you know, God, I think that you would have me step forward in this way. God, I think that that maybe you've asked me to do this, but I've been afraid that God is saying, there's time. Make that change. Not only that, but he gives us insight, just as he did for Ezekiel, to be a visual aid. That the changes we make, the way that it affects our lives, become a visual aid for the people that are around us. You see, Ezekiel was living in the midst of a rebellious house, and yet God said, Obey me, do what I've asked you to do, because people will take notice. Now you can imagine this in your own life, right? If you live like Christ, if you follow God's commands, it can look a little bit weird. Like compared to culture in general, like think how weird it is to do something really, really crazy. Like reading the Bible with your kids. Or how about this one? Taking a day off of work. Every single week, completely off of work, not even email, to spend time focusing on God and your family. And you call that Sabbath? That's weird, right? Everywhere else around us, a day off is a day to get ahead because everybody else is sitting back and this is my chance to make progress. But you know, this is one of the changes that God had to make in my life. Sabbath was something that, that I missed for years. And you can ask my family. My, my wife missed it, maybe didn't know it, but my kids missed it. And it should be obvious, right? Because God has been asking us to take rest since the beginning of time when he did it himself. And yet there's always more to do, isn't there? But when we said, okay, God, we will make that change. You wouldn't believe the way that it just reshaped our marriage, reshaped my relationship with my kids. Just to have a a forced time each week, we would just totally drop everything to focus on him and focus on each other. And and that kind of thing can really be life-changing. But you know what? If you're like me, if I say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the change. This is it. It's time now. This is for real. I mean it. If I'm trying to do that in my own power, that lasts for like maybe two Sabbaths. <laughs> right, this is where we need Christ. Right? This is where we need the Holy Spirit at work in us by the grace of God because He can make it stick. And not only that, but I don't believe that we were built to do this alone. And so I've got a mentor that I meet with every week. And when I'm trying to make changes, when I'm trying to take growth steps, I'm saying, hey, this is the thing that I think God is asking me to do. I need you to hold me accountable for it. Ask me about it again next week. Ask me how God is working in that area of my life. In fact, that's one of the things I love about being in a group as well. 
that I get to be around other men who are helping sharpen me, who are helping build me up, who are helping encourage me. In fact, if you haven't been a part of that here at Horizon, strongly, strongly recommend that. You will not regret it. In fact, you will love it. And there's actually two opportunities coming up this week, like starting tomorrow and starting Tuesday. And the great thing is, because they haven't started yet, you don't have to be the one that like missed the first week or comes in in the third week or hits the fifth week and kind of thinks, eh, maybe I better not go after all. It's starting this week. Like You don't have to miss it. And there's one Monday night called Identity in Christ. So maybe if this is even new to you, you know, and this is one that's open to anybody, you can come to that small group and find out more about what it means for Christ to transform you, to renew you, to reshape your outlook on things around you. And there's another one, Tuesday morning, 6.09 a.m. You may have heard about this one because we've done this before. And I'll tell you what, for somebody who's new here, like, it must work because we get more men every time, and it's always at 6.09. <laughs> people are coming at 6.09, it must be good. So this one's just for the men, but it's called Winning at Work and Home. And I'm telling you, by looking through the eyes of Christ, it will reshape the way that you see your work life, your home life, Especially for young dads, this is one that you would want to be in on because of the way that it will just transform your family for the next 30, 40, 50 years. All of those are opportunities to take the foresight that God's giving us and use that insight not only to make the change but to become a visual aid that impacts people around us. And the good news is, as we sang earlier, we have that victory in Jesus. Right? Just what we celebrated at communion. That I'm not on my own to do this, but because he died, he shed his blood. He can cleanse me from every rebellious thing so that I have an opportunity to make that kind of change. Because ultimately, verse 15 to 20 tells us what God is trying to get us to know. Three times in this passage, I've highlighted it for you there. It says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord. You see, I think this is that moment in the back seat of the minivan. Right? There's something that God wants to happen, and there's, there's definitely an easier way to know that God is the Lord, right? The people of Israel should have known this from all of their history with him. They should be able to look at how he brought them out of Egypt and say, He is the Lord. He's in control. It's all his. Let us worship him only. But they don't. So God takes action because he wants to make sure that they know this. And it says there, they shall know that I'm the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword, from famine and from pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, eat your bread with quaking, drink your water with trembling and anxiety and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. Then the cities that are, you are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall become desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. There's a little moment in here where he says that he will spare a few. That he's going to leave a few behind to tell other people about all the abominations that they had done. And ultimately what's going on here is that God wants the whole world to know that he is the Lord. And so if God's people live evil lives, 
Then all the nations around them look at them and say, hey, you're just as bad as us. You're just like us. What's so great about your God? He's probably not even real. And so God says, we have to correct this thing. We have to get you back to living in line with me. But not only that, I mean, think about it. If you're from Babylon, well, if your God is so great, like we just beat you up. We took you all into captivity. Our gods beat your God, so I'm not even going to bother with yours. And so there are a few people left to tell them, actually, here's the deal. Our God is good. Our God is powerful. Our God is in control. In fact, Babylon is just something that he's using to show us his goodness to get us back in line with him. The punishment that we're feeling is because of what we did, because our God is good enough and strong enough that he won't leave us there. So how will we respond? Well, let's see how Israel responded. Unfortunately, it's probably about how you would guess. If you look at verse 21, Israel has time to make a change, but continues to have no sight. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel, which says, The days are prolonged, and every vision is far off. Every vision fails. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest. They shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed for in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. And look again at verse 26. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far off. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore. But the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. You see, they had time to make a change, but now their time was up. And they had even come up with like these catchy sayings. You know that every time a prophecy comes in, ah, you've been saying that for a while now, but it hasn't happened. I'm not worried about it. Or, or the second one, that's kind of like, even if it was going to happen, I'm sure I won't be alive to see it. It's not my problem. Oh, uh, sorry, kids. Sorry, grandkids. I guess you guys will get to deal with it. You see, this is how tightly their eyes were closed to what God was saying. In fact, it even describes how they had false prophets, people who would stand up and say, oh, yeah, um, okay, hey, I have a word from the Lord, too. He says, uh, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And this is who Israel would listen to. This is why it's so important for us to study Ezekiel. See, because Israel did not study Ezekiel. They did not pay attention to the words in these pages, and it ends up pretty poorly for them. But it's not just in their time that this happens. This still happens today. In fact, Second Peter chapter 3, Peter was dealing with this in the New Testament. Because now Christ had come. Christ had died for all of our sins to show us that mercy, to show us God's glory, so that we would know that he is the Lord. And when he returned to heaven, he said, I'm coming back. He said that when he came back, it would be as a judge but that he would take the faithful with him. But already in Peter's time, a man who lived and walked with Jesus, already in these days, he says, scoffers will come, 
walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I tell you, you will hear those words today. I have heard them from our culture, from political leaders, from my friends, from skeptics who say it's been 2,000 years. Isn't it kind of stupid to think that he's really coming back? But this is Peter's encouragement, and I think it's the same message that Ezekiel gives. He says the Lord is not slack, right? He's not slow concerning his promise. As some count slackness, he's long-suffering. He's patient toward us. See, this is the heart of the Father. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, this is where we don't want to be like the kids fighting over the car seats. This is where God is saying, I'm giving you this moment. Because God's patience is not his weakness. It's his love. It's his mercy. That there's time to make a change because his desire is that all of us would say, God, you're right. You are Lord. Show us. Guide us. Lead us. That we would have the foresight to know That the time is now to make a change. The insight not to give up being a visual aid to those who are around us. In fact, there are two questions that are on the notes that you were handed this morning that relate to these two things. And these are the kind of questions that if you just read them, they can be a little uncomfortable. If you actually think about them and pray about them, these are tough. But I encourage you to do that. One says, where do I need Jesus to give me victory through change? Whether that's a sin issue, whether that's a growth step, maybe joining a group, finding a mentor, leaving a sin pattern behind. Would you have the courage, if something comes to mind there for you, would you have the courage to write it down and pray about it this week? And the second question says, where can God use me as a visual aid? You know, many times in our lives, we're, we're trying to show people around us who God is. We want them to know his love. We want them to come and meet him, and they're just not responding, and we start to give up. I think Ezekiel encourages us that Ezekiel was not responsible for how the people responded, just for continuing to share the message. So perhaps even now, there's a name that jumps to mind for you, somebody that, that you hope understands Christ the way you do. Would you have the courage to write that person down? And pray about them this week. And then I'll leave you with this encouragement from Acts chapter 26. This is Paul retelling his own conversion story. And I think this is so powerful because in his story, God literally closed his eyes physically before opening them spiritually. And I love what Jesus says to him. He says, basically, just as he opened Paul's eyes, I am Jesus. I now send you to open their eyes. And he sends us. To open their eyes to be visual aids that spark curiosity toward God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are humbled that you would use us in that way. We are humbled at the patience that you have. And Lord, I pray that we would not ignore it. But that even this morning, if you are resting your spirit on our hearts about things that you would do in our lives. Things that you would do away with. Things that you would would add to us. Growth steps that we can take. Lord, that we would have the courage to respond to you. That we would not close our eyes or close our ears. But that we would hear you, Lord. We would love you. 
and that as our lives change, we might be a visual aid to the people around us. Lord, and in all of it, we will be careful to give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. If this is your first time, or if you're newer to Horizon like I am, I would love to get to know you. I'd love to put a name with the face. And so there is a door just down the hallway, standing open, called the Hearth Room, where you can come and, uh, and meet me, meet some of the other leaders, and, and let us get to know you a little bit more. Thanks for coming this week.